Today's episode is the full interview of my interview with Caleb Lassar. Now, if you listened to last episode where we had the little snackable bite-sized insights from Caleb, it was a great conversation. Go and get that if you're time poor. But if you want to dig deep into that conversation, this is the full, complete interview. Enjoy it. Let's just get straight in. You're listening to another episode of Entrepreneurs Rising. And I'm excited because today is the first time that we've had a guest on this show. You know, ever since Peter has left us as being a co host, and it's now me as your solo host, we just, I've decided to bring on guests. And today we are joined by Caleb Lassar, and he is an executive coach for helping those in business and, I guess, in life work on their emotional intelligence. And the reason I brought Caleb on before I kind of get him to to say, hey, is he put a post out on social media. So I've known Caleb now, I don't, I don't know, a couple of years. We met through some mutual friends and entrepreneurial networks. And this post he put out really grabbed my attention. And I think especially if you are currently in your business especially in the earlier stages of business and that solopreneur, self-employed to manager level that we talk about in previous episodes, this is the stage where you're more in it. You're figuring out your business model and you're trying to market and grow. And here's exactly what he said. I won't give you the whole post, but the part that really grabbed my attention, the energy of your marketing dictates the quality of your client. I'll say that again. The energy of your marketing dictates the quality of your client. So, Caleb, welcome to the show. Talk to me about this. Oh, that's a hell of an intro. <laughs> I think it's the most flattering intro that I've had into a podcast. <laughs> well, it's well well deserved, my friend. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, I, it's been a while. I think we met at a Taki Moore event. Shout out to Taki. Yeah. I think he's connected more people in the industry than anybody ever. So, yeah, the post, the energy of your marketing. So this is going to be a conversation for sure, because there's so many parts of this. And obviously social media is one of those avenues in which you have to kind of, what's the word, TikTokify your ideas into a way that catches attention. And this original thought is part of a larger thought when it comes to, I think specifically in the industry that I work in. So I work with, like you said, a lot of business owners, coaches, entrepreneurs, people that probably have a personal brand as well. And the original train of thought was there's a difference between followers and leaders. And when we work with people specifically as a coach or as a business owner, we can end up creating customers that are followers of our business versus customers that are leaders. And the critical difference is a customer that is a follower of the business. And if we're talking, if we're talking strictly result orientated, they're going to be there. They're going to enjoy the community. They're going to, you know, pump up your ego. They're going to enjoy the process, but they might not necessarily put the pedal to the metal and do the work. Mm. 
and you see, I've seen a lot of businesses that are built on the back of followers. And this is part of the larger conversation of the energy of your marketing, because if we think about marketing that is short-sighted, might not be the correct language, but it's it's the marketing that is promising the world. You see that like it's getting short-term focused, you know, it's it's not it's like make money quick, make money tomorrow, make yes. money in the next 30 days, as opposed to, hey, we're gonna show you how to build success and it's gonna take 10 years. Yeah, and the time frame is getting smaller and smaller. It's like seven figures in 30 days now. It's like what what is happening? And this thing that I've noticed, the people that are in that level of thinking when they buy, it's a followers type mentality. It's where the guarantee or the high pressure sales tactic, it's doing the thinking for the person. Mm. So they they never get to empower themselves through doing what it actually takes, which is a whole bunch of things that are really uncomfortable, things that we call scary problems or risky problems. And instead of doing that, they rely on these guarantees. And it's also part of this other train of thought, which is, if we have to convince people to join us, they make terrible customers. And it's funny, we talked about Taki. Taki's really great at this because you see his landing page. It's like, Black Belt is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the disqualification. And so the the more that we have to convince a customer with all these outlandish, short-sighted promises, I find the more likely they are to stay in lower-level thinking if you want to get a little bit Carl Jung about it. It's the lower frequency of spiral dynamics. So for those of you not familiar with the work, spiral dynamics has these eight levels of thinking and consciousness that correlate to different levels of value systems and thinking and society. And it's a very level two, which is a it's kind of, I call it the archetype of the teenager. So the archetype of the teenagers, if you have a teenager or you've been a teenager, you know, the number one thing that's most important to you is to fit in, is to be a part of the pack. And so if everyone's got the backpack, you need that backpack or the sneakers, you need that sneakers. And they're very, very susceptible to groupthink and short-term promises. Mm. And so if we're marketing to those customers, their value set is one of connection and fitting in. It's not the value set of results and doing the work. And I think that's the long way about <laughs> saying, you know, that's what the followers are. And that's what I meant by the energy is if, and I mean, there's, there's more to the energy conversation, but that's one part of it. Whereas if the thinking of your marketing is aimed at that specific level, those are the types of customers that you're going to attract who ultimately might feel the, oh, yay, I've got people in my, you know, in my environment, but they're not the kinds of people that, become the leader so a lot of the people that i've worked with they've gone on to be multiple seven figure coaches and they're incredible they're way more successful than i am and i take it as a badge of honor like i'm this person who kind of puts the key in and unlocks it and they explode the millionaire maker yeah <laughs> yeah in a moment i want you to i love what you talked about and how you brought it to you know the spiral dynamics levels of consciousness i'd love to hear what that is in the leader. But before we do that, I just want to summarize kind of what I think I'm hearing you say. You're talking about the idea that in the marketplace, and for those listening, if you're not seeing this in your marketplace, you know, you may not serve or sell into the coaching and online digital online marketing space that both Caleb and I do. But 
there will still be layers like this in your, in your markets, I'm sure. And so what I th- think I'm hearing you say is there's a segment of market that you kind of said are like those level two teenager group thinks that they'll be the followers of your business. They'll love what you do. They'll potentially be those raving fans, loving you, big part of the community, build you up, make you feel good. But if you're then wanting to come and go, I'm going to do a case study, you might struggle because they haven't actually got the result that your product or service or coaching program or consulting or whatever was designed to give them. So they're satisfied customers. Am I right? Mm -hmm. They're satisfied customers. They've enjoyed the process because maybe they're growing, but they haven't necessarily actually got the result that the program or product was designed to provide. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. And so I think what I'm hearing you say is that there's not necessarily these are bad customers to have, but there's a different type of energy as you're marketing. And so if you're using like guarantees and at the moment, uh, listeners, if you've not read the book by Alex Hormozzi, $100 million offers, I would say this book is probably the number one thing that has increased the guarantees that you may be seeing people offering right now, because his big thing is like, you know, you put a big guarantee on it. And Caleb, it's interesting. You're not the only person who recently has said similar things about these low ticket offers, adding a guarantee, the quality of client you will attract. If the guarantee is what actually gets them across the line, they're going to be that lower quality client as opposed to those who don't need the guarantee who are like, I don't need a guarantee. I know I'm going to have to do the freaking work. Mm. You know, like the only guarantee I know need to know is that you're going to show up and support me when I need it. But I know I'm the one that's going to do the work. You can't guarantee me the result. So if I've summarized that right, which it sounds like I have, let's get into now well, what is the leader? If if that's what a follower type is, what is what does a leader clientele look like? So we're looking at and I think it's really important that you've highlighted that these are not bad customers. Like I don't know any business that only has leaders, right? And it's I think it's more an exercise to be aware of in our marketing is how far are we leaning? Because what the other thing that I've noticed about followers is they're not the greatest referrers of business. All of the leaders that have gone through my business and a leader, we'll get into what a leader is, these are the ones that they're able to take what you do and then self-start. So there's a high degree of initiative in these individuals and they're going to apply the learning. I think other attributes of leaders that I've seen in my business is they have curious minds. So if, and, and they love to ask high quality questions. So you, if we look at the difference between a low quality question and a high quality question, low quality question would be, where do I log into the course? Whereas the leader is going to be, okay, so I logged in, I got to the first class, I started doing the homework, but I had this question about this thing. And so these leaders are going to have high degrees of initiative. They're going to be asking high quality questions. They're going to actually get a result. They're comfortable with higher degrees of uncertainty. Mm. And this is a big thing where we see with the followers of the, where do I get my certainty from? Where do I get my They're looking for that certainty. It reminds me of something I, I can't remember who first said it, but someone said it may have been Taki or maybe he heard it from someone else. I don't know. But it's like most people are walking around with like power cables looking for someone to plug into. And it sounds like those types of people, they're they're the follower mentality people. They're looking around, they're looking for someone to give them the certainty, give them the direction, lead them, versus these other leaders who are they're more comfortable in that uncertainty. And I'm gonna, you know, make a a leap of assumption here, but I'd say most people 
or a high majority of you listening right now, if you're listening to this, that you probably fall closer to that leader mentality, unless you're still early on in your phase and you're just kind of seeking inspiration. And maybe at the moment you are a bit of a follower, but if you've been in business for any significant period of time, there's a high chance you've been, you lean more into that leader scope. I think you can, and this is just a thought that was coming through as you were saying this, I think you can oscillate between a follower and leader at what I would call different intervals of, or as you transition from different identities through business. So say, for example, the person who just leaves their job the and, and their first foray into entrepreneurship, they've got to make this identity shift from self-employed to self-started entrepreneur. And so at some point during that journey, it's actually quite healthy for them to be a follower and then eventually transition themselves into more of a self-starting leader. But then as they go from that self-employed person who then needs to hire people and then they become a manager, I imagine they're going to go through that same, they're going to be a follower for a little bit as they get comfortable in that environment and then they turn into the leader and then so on and so forth. So at every kind of identity jump, we're going to see potentially, I mean, there are behavioral models for this. So totally. one of the models that comes to mind, I don't know how deep we want to go into behavioral stuff, but there's a model called the adult growth model, which is these, I learned this from a lady called Sharon Pearson, who's the founder of the coaching Institute. And there's four levels of development. Yeah. It's called the adult growth model. And so each one of these levels describes our thinking and our value set as we transition to something or as we take on a task that is more difficult. So we see this most commonly when someone sets a goal that is quite far removed from their current reality. So if we see someone going from, you know, employed by someone else to self-employed, they're going to have to go through the adult growth model. And we also see this in just our development within children. And this is quite interesting becoming a dad recently myself and the four stages, first stage is reliance. Second stage is rebellion. Third stage is results. And the fourth stage is realization. Mm. And so the reliance stage is where, this is where I would suggest that the follower mentality has to exist because we we can have a functional reliance or we can have a dysfunctional reliance. And so a dysfunctional reliance at the stage of our development would be that dysfunctional follower archetype that we talked about where they're more concerned with fitting in and they're asking low quality questions and they have a dysfunctional relationship with the authority in the situation. So let's say, for example, they buy a program and the program is 10 steps to do ABC and they are heavily reliant on the person who made the program to show them where to go, to hold them, to hold their hands. And this would be akin to a child. So like when the newborn, they're heavily reliant, but that's a functional reliance. And we've all seen adults <laughs> who we could suggest act like infants when, you know, when the pressure comes, that would be a dysfunctional reliance. Yeah, got and it. And so, yeah, maybe you want to summarize these three other stages. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear the other stages for sure. Like, I just, I was just thinking there, like with what you're talking about from a practical point of view, when you say they're reliant on the, let's say the creator of the program. So, you know, right now we're kind of very much using a lens of you're a coach, probably with a, a course or a program or mastermind. And if they're reliant on the coach, is it actually the coach or is that is that something that if they've got the right systems in place that are maybe answering all those questions in the program, 
like my brain, as soon as you say that, they're too reliant on the, because my whole thing's about how do you remove you and make a business that doesn't rely on you? That's my whole, whole thing. And so is it about just not having the right systems in place or is, is there genuinely this attachment to the figurehead, if you like, in that scenario? I love that question because this gets into the real essence of why I posted what I posted is in order to answer that question about is it the coach or is it the person, it's 50-50. So in all, I believe in all of these kind of situations where it's whose responsibility is it to get a result, it's always 50-50, right? We need to make sure that our half is delivered to the highest possible standard that we can do, but also we can never make up for the 50% that they have to bring. Ever, no matter what people love to say and be like, you know, you need to take 80% responsibility. That's not true. You can't. Like, you just cannot. And the thing we should obsess about is removing the friction that allows us to deliver our 50% the most possible way, uh, the, the best efficient way. And so in answer to that question, the is it the system or is it the person if, or is it the coach? On the coach side, what I've noticed is, and this gets into a whole other model, and I'm very cautious of diving model upon model, but the short version of it is if that coach, because how you responded just then, you, your answer is indicative of somebody that's done a lot of work or understands and has a healthy relationship to their own ego. Whereas a coach who doesn't have a healthy relationship to their own ego believes that they're more important than they are. And so what happens is they actually need, so part of their self-esteem, part of their ego needs the adoration from the followers. And if we talk about like, what is the coach's half? Well, well, if if this person's coach, if their significance, if their self-esteem, if their ego is dependent on the adoration of the clients needing them, then you're going to have clients that stay in that you know, I'm going to get lost. I'm going to get lost. I'm going to get lost mm. because there's this dynamic that we call need to be needed. And this is our relationship to how we meet our need for significance. Mm. And if we, if we perceive that we need to be needed by people as in it's like oxygen to us, we can't meet our own needs of worthiness or another way to think about it is our worth as a coach comes directly from the results we get from clients if it's not a bad thing, but if that is rigid and it's the only way we know that we are good as a coach, then we need to be needed by our clients. And that's what causes them to stay in that follower mentality is because as long as we need them, we can't let them go. Like they can't go past us because our self-esteem would go past us. So we unconsciously keep them in this loop. All right. So I'll pause you there for a second. I think this is something that's worth reflecting on, listener. Like one of the things that I talk about is, you know, navigating the entrepreneurial levels from self-employed to manager to leader to ultimately the investor. And to do that journey, if you are like what Caleb was just talking about, if you are listening to that and going, actually, I see some of that in me where I need to be needed by my clients that's going to hold you back and hold you down in those lower levels. And it sounds like with what Caleb's saying, and I'd never thought of it this way, it's also impacting the energy of your marketing. It's impacting the types of clients you're attracting because if you've got that belief system that you and need and you're putting out that out there in how you 
deliver your products and services. Uh, this goes beyond if you're a coach. If you're setting up your business where you believe that you are the secret ingredient, and you are to a degree, we are the uniqueness in our business, absolutely. But we are not the thing that gets the, the result. If we are the only thing that gets a result, then in my belief, it's a, it's a flawed system. And so really reflect on that. If you heard or saw some of yourself in what Caleb was saying around going, I have set myself up to feel like I need to be needed. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's just probably some internal inner child work to do and explore that. But it's impacting your business. And it sounds like it's also going to be attracting a certain quality of client that's going to keep you stuck there because they're going to keep grabbing at you rather than just following the system and being a bit more self-reliant, which is sounds like that's that leader. So if we if we come back to, you talked about the teenager and the level two in the spiral dynamics is the follower. Where in the spiral dynamics would you say the leader is? And how would you give that analogy from a teenager? That's such a, another great question. So I've measured it by revenue and revenue doesn't, it's not the be all and end all, but it's kind of the one non-biased metric that we have to kind of gauge stuff. And yes, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. But what I've noticed is this, there seems to be three categories, six figures, multi six figures, and then beyond. So when you're getting to that million dollar business, and it's quite interesting when I joined Taki's program, these were the categories that he had as well. And if we look at stages one, two of spiral dynamics, we're looking at people that have lower value systems that not unnecessarily by lower, sorry, I mean lower on the hierarchy of language. And what that means is they're not close to the value systems that are required to drive a result. So value systems would be things like it's important to have trust, fairness, care, connection, kindness, compassion, empathy. These are the value systems that are probably more concerned with the one and two level. Whereas as soon as you move to level three, you have values of like action, grit, determination, power, achievement, etc. And so where we see the followers on a spiral level, they would be levels one and two. And when I look at spiral, I actually, I break it into different categories. So I believe we can have different spiral levels for different areas of our life. So you might have, and this is really, really common, and this is most of my work, is I have clients at a spiral level five that have been very successful. So five is like the level of the meme of capitalism. And it's where the person has achieved results and it's predictable, replicable. They can do it over and over again. But what happens is their emotional level, so their internal level, is around one or two. And so this distance that they have between levels one and two and five is actually what's causing pain. And they try to look external to do different things and to buy different things to try and solve that internal problem. And that's a whole, there's a whole thing we can talk about. A whole nother potential episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if we look at followers, they're probably most likely one and two because of the value systems that are represented at one and two. And that would be, I would say that person is probably not quite making money yet mm. in their business. So they're higher in enthusiasm, <laughs> but low in result. Then as soon as we move to three, three would be the level I'm going to take action now. So this is the person that got bored of fitting in at level two and the sheep and the teenage mentality. 
and they decided to take action. They got fed up and take action. And this is the first year of the entrepreneur. And you often see that, you know, they'll do 20, 30,000, 40,000. Most of the people that I've spoken to in their first year, that's somewhere where they end up. And that is pure level three. That's pure hustle. And then what happens is if they're smart is they'll look to a level four. So they'll look to a system and they will hire someone who has a system to get them to the next goal. And this is where the system starts creating some predictability and they move from that 20, 30, 40,000 and they finally crack six figures, maybe start touching on that multi six figures. And then from there, they can then find another system and then utilize the system and expand and grow to seven. And so where we start seeing the leaders is where they move into the level three, where they start taking action, they start backing themselves. They're very comfortable with getting it wrong because they appreciate that action creates clarity. Another thing action creates is also momentum. Yes. And the followers are obsessed about, I want clarity. And the leaders, are, I want momentum. And that's, I think, the biggest difference in, in on Spiral where you see the two levels starting to form. And so if I'm hearing this right, it's and I'm reflecting on my own journey too, the leader is all of a sudden they're taking personal responsibility going like, okay, I need to actually take some action here. Like I can't just learn and sit or I can't just sit and you know manifest my way to, to the results I want and, and learn and learn and learn. I actually have to do something. And I know in my own journey, you know, oh, I, I got to a certain point in around my third business where I was just learning, 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 learning. And I got to a final point and I was like, I got to stop learning. I don't need to learn anything new. I just need to do what I've learned. I just do what I know. I was a great consultant. I could give people answers, but I wasn't applying any of my own knowledge. So people could come to me, ask me a question. I could give them amazing answers, tell them what to do, and they could go away and apply and great things. But I wasn't doing anything. And I got to that point. I was so fed up that I then was like, I need to freaking do something with what I know. Don't, don't read another book. Don't go to another course. Just apply. I'm pretty sure that was a stage I got to just before automation agency started, actually. I, I, it's a bit of a blur in my head as to mm -hmm. the, my timeline of over 20-something years, but I'm pretty sure it was around the start of, it was either Business Builds Academy, which I did before automation agency, or it was automate, around automation agency. And it's interesting, though, because I've then gone through that hustle realm. And if you've listened to our previous episodes and you've heard Peter and I talking about our journeys, where we've gone through that hustle mode, and then we've kind of got to this comfortable stage I see some of those elements of level one and two probably showing up again in what you've described in the spiral dynamics where it's like, well, I got to a certain comfort, got to a certain level even of income and profit and all of these things. I'm looking for that certainty of, well, I don't want to go and start another thing and be back in the days of trying, you know, making sub a hundred grand. Like I don't really want to go into that world again. And so I'm just reflecting on it the idea of being able to kind of go into that level three, level four, level five, but then potentially you get to stages in business where you then go back to that certainty. Like you've been very happy with the variety and the uncertainty comfort and using the Tony Robbins models of six human needs. And then all of a sudden going back to, yeah, now I need some certainty. I've, I've, I've stretched myself a bit into uncertainty. Let's go back to, I need some safety, some certainty in my life. I really like this model. And I guess if we bring it back to the original, the start of this conversation about how we show up in our marketing, if you were giving advice to someone, Caleb, 
would you tell them how would they market differently? We talked about guarantees very much attracts those people looking for certainty. So if we want leaders, what would you do differently? What would you tell someone to do differently in their marketing to attract those people? Yeah, I want to be really careful to stay in my lane here. <laughs> so totally. Marketing as a whole, I haven't figured that one out. But what I can speak to, and I'm I have a lot of experience in is actually in selling. And so let's just say you've managed to get people on the phone call. <laughs> and we've done it in a way that doesn't require lots of guarantees. And, you know, this phone call was valued at $10,000 and we only had three of them left on Tuesday (laughs) and you've got them on the phone call. I think learning to sell in a way that doesn't heavily rely on convincing people is going to be the difference that gets you a client that is here because they believe you're the magic thing and somebody who makes it a really high quality decision for themselves. And the structure of a high-quality decision, I'm borrowing this from another mentor of mine, his name is Darcy Smythe, runs a company called Y Bravo. And when he first taught me to sell, he told me that sales was leadership. And I think coming full circle, that's actually really interesting because most people, when they sell, there's a couple of presuppositions going on. The first one is that it's a zero-sum game. So what that means is the salesperson especially if you're not at what we call a natural salesperson. So if you're like most business owners, I know sales gives you this awful feeling inside. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I just hope someone else could do the selling for me. Like I'll do the delivery. Someone else do the selling for me, which is normal until you actually understand what makes a sale. And so he said to me, sales is leadership. And when we expanded on that, what leadership is, is holding someone to a higher standard by getting them clear on something that we call cognitive dissonance. So cognitive dissonance in a sales context is where is somebody right now and where did they expect that they would be by now? Now that's the, that's the critical language is where are they now and where did they expect that they would be by now? And if you can find that difference in somebody and your product is a fit for that gap that they have, you don't need to sell. Mm. There's no convincing required because the pain of this cognitive dissonance of this just user. Sorry, there's so many coaching examples, but let's say that this person, well, let's use, let's use a health and fitness example. So this person wants to lose weight. The reality is they're overweight and they're in pain because it's causing the low self-esteem, they're lethargic. The reality is at the moment they're sick, they're at risk of, you know, they can't spend time with their children because they get puffed and they're tired all the time. That's their current reality. What's their expected reality? What did they think that they want by now? Well, they could be like, shoot, I'm turning 40. I didn't think that I would be this unhealthy. I didn't think, you know, I thought by now that I would have lost 10 kilos. I thought that the diet would have worked. I thought that the program that I was on would have made a difference, et cetera. So when you as a salesperson or when you're selling can get clear on those things without needing to convince or make it, your program is kind of irrelevant at this point without all of that stuff. And you can figure out what is that thing mm. that is causing them pain. And there's a difference between what is causing them pain and trying to create pain because pain-based selling is dumb because it's just another way of convincing somebody to 
take action on something is you know are they are you in enough pain yet to take it's just so weird to me let me stick some more daggers in <laughs> yeah. you and, and show you the pain you've got yeah i know the type of selling you're talking about because uh, i think the part of the grander conversation is i think our industry is shifting but and uh, industry by industry i mean i think people are getting sick of that type of selling and I think for the meantime, like it's working, you see people doing it and that kind of thing, but uh, there's a wave. It's like post-COVID, people's bullshit detectors went up. And so a lot of those marketing and sales tactics of the whole like this $1,000 session, which is really a sales call, like you know, described as a strategy session, I don't think that stuff is going to fly as much going forward because people are just, we're sick of it. And, mm. you know, going into a recession, there could be like less disposable income. So like people are going to be less trusting, you know, people have been around the block a couple of times now. They've dealt with some bad operators. So as soon as you say something like that, you put yourself in the same category as all these bad operators. So, yeah. So in order to, to do our part from a sales perspective, because I can't answer the marketing question yet, I'd love to, but it's not a problem. I, I think I have enough evidence solving at the moment, but from a sales perspective, if we can focus on leadership and sales, which means we don't need to convince, we don't need to pitch, right? If we just put all the pressure of convincing and pitching away and we get really curious about one thing, which is the cognitive dissonance, where is the person now? Where did they expect that they would be by now? And we ask our clients that, and then they reveal it to us. And then we say, how would you like help solving that? And then they tell you and you go, right, well, I have this thing. It does that. Would you like to join? And it's an invitation as opposed to a close. And, you know, there's there's probably some people that are sales diehards and they're like, this sounds like soft sales. Well, in a, in a sense, yeah, it is. But I think we're at a critical turning point where we need to turn up the consultative nature of the sales call and stop assuming that people are dumb because these false promises and these massive convincing it might work in the short term where like people come in the door, but the people coming in the door in mass is it not going to be the people that stay, play, pay, continue. Like all of the, all of the customers that stay long-term, you're going to want leaders. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately, and this is something that oh, I can't remember his name, but he's hilarious. He's on Facebook, but he talks about how retention is the key. And I personally believe that outside of marketing and a great program, one of the best ways to increase your attention is actually your sales call, where if you've sold in a way where the person feels like they made the decision, because you didn't have to convince them anything because your guarantee doesn't say that they get the result or you know they get their money back or anything like that. They go, wow, this person understands my problem. I can see that their program is designed to solve that problem. I'm going to join this. I'm going to do this. That in that moment, they become a leader. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say, you know, you haven't solved the marketing of it, but as you were describing the sales process, that is exactly how I would market the same thing. You send them to a landing page going like, have, you know, you've interviewed a bunch of your clients. You've figured out what the core problems are, what the outcome they want. And you've just taken that on mass rather than a one-to-one -one conversation. And you say, hey, have you, you know, your copy is like, you know, are you currently not in the relationship you dreamed of? Are you currently you know starved of sex so you like whatever the problems are right mm. and you go well you know 
if that's you, that's like a bunch of my other clients and you just give some case studies. You know, I had another client who was like this and here's what we did together and we got them this result and this result. And if that's the kind of result you'd like, then, you know, click here and book a call and we can have a chat. Like that would be the same way I would market something like that to call in those leaders. So I think what what I'm hearing there is those of us who have been around the, the digital world and just marketing world for a while, you got your hardcore sales page with your multiple guarantees and the <laughs> bonuses added and this price yes. is currently down slash to $27 today only for three spots. And you go there tomorrow and it's still three spots and there's still today only. <laughs> the big red letters. Yeah, that, there's that, that full hardcore direct response approach to marketing and then they'll have a harder sales close, I guess, as you like. And that's very, very prevalent in the business opportunity space. You know, if you've ever attended a wealth seminar about property or shares or, you know, something that's trying to sell you a business opportunity, that's usually a very prevalent style. Not all all of them, but it's it's quite strong by some of the biggest players like that. So that sounds like that's what that is. And then if we go the leader approach, you're talking about just going, stretching the gap. Do you have this problem? Mm. Would you like this result? If here's some case studies of people who are just like you that I've been able to give them those results, you're reading into that. Usually by reading a case study, you're going, oh, they had the problem that I had. They get the result that I want. Just reading that case study stretches the gap and creates that cognitive dissonance. And then it's just like, hey, like no guarantees, but I can probably, I've helped a whole bunch of people. Maybe I can help you too. It's worth having a conversation. It's that softer, I don't, one thing I think it's it's worthwhile putting out there I think it's very easy to do that style of selling and marketing and positioning as a coach or consultant in particular when you're in a position where you don't need the money mm. or mentally you're able to truly not have that pressure. And I'm in that stage now, but there were stages in my life where you know, you try to do that, but it was inauthentic. The energy wasn't going back to the energy conversation. The energy was like I need to make this freaking sale. I got to try and convert this person. Even though you felt in your bones that this was not the right client, you should not help them. But you're like, I need to eat. I need this cash. It's different when you can truly be like, yeah, actually, no, we're not the right fit for you. Because that's what you're talking about, being able to truly know who you are the right fit for and who you're not and pull in those leaders. It's, it's I'm not going to lie, it's, it's in my experience, it's very challenging to do if you're in a situation where you're feeling probably scarcity and lack and you're not feeling able to be like, it's all good. I don't need your money. No problems. If you if I you know you don't want my help, no problems. Is there anything you would say to that, Caleb, before we start to kind of wrap up? <laughs> oh man, those who know me know that I would love to take the more energetic spiritual path here about relationship to money and that kind of thing because I know the feeling and one of the interesting things is this was a recurring lesson that I had until recently where there's been degrees of learning this lesson where signing the client that I had the feeling I shouldn't have signed I had this client two three years ago where he initially worked with me got a really great result really quickly within 48 hours was doing really well and then he just randomly left, just said nothing, completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's weird. I'm not going to work with that person again because of the standard that I hold. Like, like at least say something. Like ghosting just randomly and, and then leaving, I think, is weird. So I, was, I made that mental note. Then he came back a year later 
and was like, I'm so sorry, man. I really want to work with you. And so I had all these conditions. <laughs> I was like, look, this is based on the last thing. This is, the, I don't want to break my standards. So like, how do I know that you're going to, you know, show up differently this time? And these are the things that I would like from you. It just all of this stuff, put all these barriers in place. And he was still insistent on working with me. And so I was like, sure. Okay, let's do it. And I still had the feeling this is not a good idea, but I did it anyway. And sure enough, the dude went nuts. Just, I think he was, I genuinely believe he was bipolar. And so I'd met one side and then the other side came out during the coaching. And it got really weird, like blocked me on social media and then made a Facebook page dedicated to me and my wife and started stalking. And and it was strange. And I think we needed the money at the time because that was the, that was the thing that put it over the edge. And it was after him, (laughs) I decided never again for the money. And because there'd been several other times where I'd done it for the money, but this was the big one where suddenly just in me said, even if I need the money, I will find a way. Mm. And I know that's potentially a slightly privileged thing to say, but I didn't have the money the next time that that conversation came up. I needed the money and I knew that this person was not a fit. And I said no. And what I've come to notice and believe in myself and clients is something else will drop. It's like a, it's a weird cosmic test where if you set the standard and you go, you know what, I'm not going to be available for that stuff. It's like if you left a bad relationship and then you meet someone else and this person is like 95% amazing, but they have 5% red flags. And it's like this massive test before, you know, you go in because, you know, did you really mean all those changes that you said that you would make when you left that last relationship? Because here's one that's 95% your standard, but there's 5% red flags. And I guarantee you, if you dated that person, it would blow up again. And this is kind of the thing. So, I would encourage the people thinking about this, if you are in that situation and you do get the sense that it's not a great client, to consider any other time that you've been able to hold true to a standard and something better has fallen in. And I'd be really curious to know if if anyone has done that and it's not worked, because I've not met one person. There's this weird relationship that I don't know how far we get into in this podcast, but this weird relationship between standards and energy where if we set the standard, this is what I'm not available for. I'm not available for those clients, even though we need the money and we say, but my standards and my energy is not available for that stuff. Something else has always fallen in for me and for my clients. So, yeah. And I'm saying that from a place of I need the money. So I've been there. (laughs) I know the feeling, Mm. but yeah, I'd encourage you to start looking at other times where you've held a high standard and something else has come in. Yeah, without, I think it's the best way I can answer it without getting too weird. Awesome. No, look, there's nothing wrong with going woo and, and big on, in, in this podcast at all, but uh, I, look, I appreciate everything you've said. So let's wrap up. We've gone in all sorts of different directions. And I love that, that this all stemmed from a post that was put on Facebook that I read. And it may, I really was like, hey, I want to learn more about that. Reached out to Caleb and said, hey, I'd love to get you on the podcast to talk about this thing. And we've gone all sorts of places. So Caleb. If someone listening has really resonated with what you've said, where is the best place for them to find you? Is there a resource, social media, a download? Like where 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 would you send them? Yeah, just uh, it's I've got a one of those small websites called Shoreby. So 
shor.by forward slash Caleb Lazar. If you jump on there, there's a there's like a Facebook group, there's free trainings, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I think I've got an ebook as well that you can download. And I talk about all dis- different kinds of things. Also got a podcast that's in, well, it's actually live on YouTube what? at the moment. Um, like the podcast, what's it called? If, if other listeners want to find it, what's it called? Yeah, it's called Caleb Lazar Beyond Reason. So part of Beyond Reason. Yeah, our, my philosophy is I like to help people create lives beyond what they thought was reasonable, which is the beyond reason. And we talk about, I talk about all types of things. We talk about the energy stuff, we talk about the human behavior stuff, as we talked about today. And, and yeah, we just kind of mash it all together. I love that. All right, cool. So what was that website again? Just that Shawby website? Let's say that out, spell it out for them one more time. S-H-O-R.B-Y forward slash Caleb Lassar. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll make sure that link is in the show notes. So remember, you can check that out at rising.show. That's it from me and Caleb in this episode. So if you've got other guests that you would like to hear from, or if you'd like to have Caleb back and you've got questions, shoot us an email, let us know what you thought of today's episode and what else you'd like to hear and who else you'd like to hear from. Caleb, I am super grateful for you bringing your wisdom, your humbleness. And in particular, I really want to kudos to you for all the attribution that you do. I think, you know, there's many people in my world who do this and I, you know, Taki's one of them. And, but I think modeling, you do it really well where you model acknowledging where and who you learn things from. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing so that it puts more authority in my opinion behind you rather than less. So I just want to really hat off to you for that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom and talk to you again on a future episode, maybe. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Entrepreneurs Rising. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I appreciate your time and look forward to connecting in future episodes. If you would like show notes or any resources from today's episode, you can find them at rising.show. Rising.show, you can find show notes for this episode and all other episodes, as well as links to socials and the ability to reach out and connect with me, make your suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, keep up the journey.